All right. The medical system. Again, we've been through it. We've been through hell. We've looked at our medical system. We needed it. It was stressed. We saw medical systems stressed around the world. And then we saw them crack. And we wondered how this was going to play out for all of us. What if I broke my leg? What if someone I knew had a heart attack? What if they needed emergency care and we were caring for people who ended up in the hospital in unprecedented numbers from this pandemic. Eventually it will go away, but a lot of the things we've learned about our medical system are going to be hanging around. I keep referencing the big investigative piece in the Globe and Mail on our medical system. It was very, very timely. Let's talk about how this will impact the place we go when we need medical help and our vulnerability. Joining us is Dr. Catherine Smart, president of the Canadian Medical Association. Welcome. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. We've always had a great big conversation here in Canada about our healthcare system, and we're torn. Most of us are really quite proud of it, and we're glad it's there. We're glad we don't have the problems in the United States with access. On the other hand, the pandemic told us things we already know, that it's stressed and it may not be there for us. Dr. Smart, what kind of a crisis are we finally waking up to here? Well, I think that's exactly what it is. It's waking up to a crisis that has been a long time in the making. You know, the the stressors that have come to bear on the system during COVID, I think have really just revealed things that were already happening in the system for a long time. We have a model of care that was developed 60 years ago and hasn't really changed in any substantive way in that time. And the modern needs of Canadians and what we're seeing now in healthcare have really outpaced the systems that we're trying to work within. And I think what we saw with COVID is, is when we put that stress test onto the system, it just started to crack. And now we're in a situation, I think, where many Canadians, as you've said, have woken up to that reality. I don't think the message is that Canadians shouldn't be proud of their healthcare system. There is a lot to be proud on about. There's incredible people, dedicated people within that system. But without that serious conversation about where to from here, the worry is it's not going to be a system that actually is able to keep meeting the needs of Canadians down the road. What kind of a rehaul does it need? You know, if you're going to redo a house, some you know, you, you want to make sure the foundation is good and maybe you strip it down to the studs and change things around. Are we stripping it down to the studs and is the foundation good? Well, that's exactly what needs to happen, I believe, is a stripping down to the studs and an actual significant change to some of the structural issues within the system. What we've seen is a lot of tinkering, right? Let's add a little bit more money here, put a few Mm -hmm. more resources Mm -hmm. there. But what we haven't really done is really deeply understand what parts of the system work well and what parts actually aren't working anymore. And just by trying to continue to pour money into a problem that's fundamentally about structure isn't going to achieve outcomes we want. So absolutely, do we need more funding for healthcare? Yes. But th- those dollars really need to be, to accompany some changes in what those systems look like. And that's and clear both in community-based care and in our hospitals. All right. I'm going to give you a magic wand and some fairy dust. What would you do if you had that power, Dr. Smart? <laughs> well, wouldn't that be great? Um, <laughs> well, I think a few things. I, I, I would look at it sort of there's, of course, we could talk about this for a long time, but I think right now there's two or three fundamental problems. When we look at the community, it's very clear that our models of primary care, which do form the foundation of the healthcare system, access to 
family doctors and other people that can provide that longitudinal primary care is really breaking down. That is a model that is essentially a private model of running a small business to try to provide people care. And as Canadians have aged, as their health problems have become more complex, as we're seeing worsening mental health, we're reaching the limits of what that model can do. And what's happening is it's not attracting or retaining newer family doctors. So we need to really understand what's going on there and reimagine those systems of primary care so that they can better serve Canadians and actually attract and retain doctors. So that's going to be new systems like integrated team-based care, perhaps different payment models for physicians, and different ways of integrating those community-based care models with other aspects of the system. So that's one piece. In our hospitals, one of our biggest challenges is not enough staff, particularly when it comes to nursing. Um, And that's been dwindling now for years. And we're really at a tipping point in terms of attrition of nurses, nurses leaving the profession, and that dramatically impacts the care that hospitals can deliver. So we need that human health resource planning for our acute care sector to address that. But along with that, we also have an issue of the way hospitals are funded. Hospitals are generally funded on volume, not necessarily on quality or on what they're able to do in terms of getting people through the system. So there's sometimes actually reverse incentive to ramp up the care to patients. Um, So by linking funding to the patient, it will actually allow our hospitals to be more empowered to make sure that people are getting the evidence-based care that they need and that we can actually get people through our system. So I think there's lots of things there that we can be thinking about differently that would get Canadians better care and would drive quality of care, not just volume of care. All right, what's driving the system? Why is it why is it put that way? Especially I'm interested in the quality of care and reestablishing the funding. What would fix that? One of our big issues is most of our system in Canada is based on volume metrics, not quality metrics, meaning you are remunerated for the number of interactions you have with patients, not necessarily the quality of those interactions or what you're doing in those interactions. Mm -hmm. And you're also not necessarily paid or incentivized to think about working in teams because when in fee for service, the model is you get paid each time you see the patient. So it, it drives volume of interaction with the patient. We also don't have good data integration in our system, meaning we don't always really know what people are doing or what outcomes we're getting from the investments that we're making. So I think if we can shift our thinking towards what are the quality indicators we're trying to achieve, whether that's wait times, whether that's outcomes for people with diabetes, whether it's time in hospital for people post hip replacement, it starts to drive those better outcomes and it starts to give people the freedom to think differently about how they work in teams to deliver care rather than just focused on the volume that they need to output. And that can apply both to physicians and also to our hospitals. All right. And so we have to convince people to maybe pay more to do things more efficiently. Wow. Just add, ask businesses that. And it, it's uh it seems mind-boggling, but it also seems... Well, it's not always obvious. about paying more. Okay. It's sometimes about using the dollars differently, right? Mm-hmm. So, for example, you know, if you're going to have a hip surgery and we decide that's worth $2,000 in the system and that dollars accompany you into your hospital, into your course of care with the physicians, the physiotherapists, the pharmacists, all the people that are involved in your care, it incentivizes that team to think about how do we best use that $2,000 to get you the care that you need? And then it starts pushing us towards thinking differently about how we leverage the resources we have. So it's not always necessarily about more money. Sometimes it's about Mm -hmm. using the investments that we have more efficiently, but most importantly, making sure they're actually tied to outcomes for patients. 
All right. Uh, Dr. Catherine Smart, president of the Canadian Medical Association. Thank you for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for your time. And there you go. You know, there's just a refreshing aspect of talking about that because everybody's listening now. We get it. Sometimes you just go. Don't they say when somebody's in addiction, they say you got to fall to the bottom before you can help and you can admit what is wrong. Maybe we're at that with our medical system. Keep what works. Rethink it. We've been through hell. Use it and pave a way for a new future. Here, here, we're going to take a break. We'll be back right after this. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.